it's important to know your role in life, right? Right? It's good to know what you're good at, what you're bad at. My role is goofus. Um, I, I would like to be gallant, but I, I've, I've, I'm like the don't let this happen to you guy. I think my whole role in life is to do stupid things so you can look at me and go, oh, yeah, I won't do that. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm walking out what the Lord has for me. I'm good with that. Um, a number of years ago, probably somewhere around 1997, back when big lizards roamed the earth and dirt was new, Jerry and Sue were kind enough to, to um, give Lynn Marie and I an air, conditioner, an air conditioner. Do you guys remember this? It was huge. It was, we, we lived in a house in West Dallas, and it was built in 1912. There was no, we still had oil heat, right, so no air conditioning. And, um, and it, was a, it was a window air conditioner, and it was huge. And it was made out of lead and battleship steel and um, anger. It was, uh, that's what put that thing together, and it was huge. I mean, it wasn't one of those nifty little ones. It was big. It was, now do you remember? Yeah, yeah. And it was, it really was a blessing. Um, But this being Wisconsin, right, you had to put it in in the spring, and you had to take it out in the fall, because otherwise you were going to freeze to death in the winter. And so it was big, and we had, um, uh, you know, it was a small house in West Dallas, and so you know, you had to go down these stairs, and they kind of curved, and they were very narrow, and they were loose because, you know, the house was built in 1912, and the house was slowly folding in on itself. And so you'd have these bouncy stairs going down that you knew were going to give way at any time. And so, you know, you had to store the air conditioning units. So why would you call a friend for help, right? Because um, Jim, you know, I certainly wasn't going to ask... Lindbergh and I have certain roles in our marriage, and toting and carrying is not amongst her roles. And I, I'm good with that because I don't cook. So, I mean, it's, a, it's, you know, it's who you are. But Pastor Jim didn't live that far away. It really would have been a quick phone call um, to come over. Uh, but I didn't. So I took the air conditioning unit out. You had to move the couch out of the way. Um, and then I grabbed it, and, you know, you start waddling towards the door. And then you go down the steps. And as I was going down the steps, you have to make a turn, and I hit the loose stair, and it started to slip. And so I did this. Yeah. And I heard something, and I felt something. And I didn't know what it was, and it didn't hurt right away. It was, it was you know, it was a little bit, yeah. And so, um, but as the, years, as the years progressed... It, it, it became more and more painful. So, you know, I'm a guy. We don't, we don't go to doctors, right? Unless it's green and falling off, we're not going. By the way, this is why men die earlier than women. It's because we don't go to the doctor. I'm just telling you. That is really, that, that's it. There's no other reason. We're just too dumb to go to the doctor. So anyway, about eight years later, I go to the doctor. I can't take it anymore. I can't sleep at night. My back is killing me. Lower back. It's just I can't sit for long periods of time. I can't lay down. I can't stand up. It's really painful. So I go to the doctor. We do some tests. So when you're looking at your vertebrae, right, you've got, you know, it's round. But then there's like these little, these little bony portions that come off kind of like the back of a stegosaurus, right? And so I go into the doctor, and he shows me. One of mine in my lower back is broken. And then he says something funny to me. He said, this is very common in young athletic males. <laughs> I'm 38 years old at this point. So other than the male thing, he nailed it. 
Uh, but that happened because I was doing something that was beyond my capacity. I was carrying a burden that was too much. I didn't want to bother anybody else. I didn't want to bring anybody else in. I thought I could handle it. And I was wrong. I was really wrong. I had to go through physical therapy. Um, it, it still still hurts. There's really nothing they can do about it. It's just one of those things that you learn to live with. And by the way, you guys, all of you that have hurt yourself over the years playing sports, when you get to be in your 40s, those are coming back to get you, just so you know. Um, uh, and so, you know, you make mistakes and you learn with the results. But see, you and I as, as believers, we're, we're not about carrying our own burdens. We're not about being alone. We're not about doing stuff on our own because we always have God with us. We always have each other. And so you don't have to make Goofus's mistakes. You can have help carrying your burdens. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I do appreciate this family. I appreciate this community so much, Lord. Uh, Thank you for giving us a place to come and and gather, Lord, and, and such wonderful people. Lord, I do ask you to bless this time. Help me to do this right. In Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm, <clears throat> Psalm, in Psalm 122.1, it says, A song of ascents of David. I rejoice with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Do you feel joy when you go up to the house of the Lord? Do you feel burdened when you go to the house of the Lord? I mean, sometimes it's tough, right? There's ministry that needs to be done. There are things that need to do, you know, the things that need to happen. You've got to get your kids ready. You've got to get them over to, you know, make sure they're okay in Sunday school. They don't kill anybody. But sometimes going up to the house of the Lord is a burden. It can feel like a burden. You know, some of us have been doing this for a really long time. I've been a believer since uh, I was a teenager, and sometimes... You know, coming to church can be hard. You know, like, like um, Ryan was saying. You know, you get up on a Sunday morning, you just don't want to go. Just two more hours of sleep, that's all I'm asking for. I just want to stay in bed today. In Matthew 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you ever feel like that phrase was written for somebody else? I don't think this scripture applies to me. I'm feeling my burden, and I'm not feeling particularly restful. And maybe not just at church, right? I mean, I know we do a lot of things here, and we do it with the, with the right purposes. You know, we want to be a light to our community. We want to be a light wherever we go. We want to share the gospel wherever we go. Sometimes it's tough. But maybe it's in your job. It's what you do for a living, you know? You just, you're just slogging through it. You're, you're putting in time. <laughs> There's a really holy movie uh, called Office Space. Um, I've never actually... I, okay, I'm going to admit this to you. I've never actually seen the whole movie. I've only seen a couple of scenes. But there was a while back... Um, there's a scene in the movie where these two guys come into the, this business... And they're interviewing everybody, and they're going to downsize. And so they're interviewing people, finding out what's going on in the business. And one of the, the main characters goes in, and he sits down with, I think they were the Bobs, right? The Bobs. And the gentleman who's sitting across the table from the Bobs starts telling these people how when he first started to work, he was you know, really wanting to do stuff. And, and really now, 
He's not really working to get ahead. He's just working to not get fired. That, you know, he was just, do you ever feel like that at your job? And that one really resonated with me, which is why I quit that job, because that's where I was at, right? My job had become such a burden that I really, as believers, we have an obligation to to work hard at whatever we do, right? To set an example wherever we were. And I I was so burdened. I, I just, at that place, I just wasn't setting the example that I needed to do. Maybe it's in another commitment that you've made, right? You gave your word to do something. You promised that you needed to do something. There's a, you know, a series of commitments that are involved, and it's just become too much. You're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, burnout. Or like I, I like to refer to it as, as the Elijah syndrome. I love scripture. I love scripture because it's so full of of people that are so people-like. You know, they have foibles. They make mistakes. They do things. They experience things. And, you know, we look at them and we, we, you know, we envision these, these godly women and men in the scripture and we think that they're just perfect and great and all the time and they've never experienced what we've experienced, but it's just not true. So a little bit of backstory. King Ahab is king of Israel. He's not a good king. He's a bad king. Scripture says he was the worst king. Really bad. He instituted some things in in Israel that God was not pleased with. You know, he married someone from outside of Israel and uh, started following their gods. So they started worshiping Baal. They started putting up Asherah poles in Israel uh, Ahab even even created a, a temple in another in another uh, country uh, for Baal. God was not pleased with this, right? And so here comes Elijah. In First Kings chapter uh, seventeen, it says now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, "As surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next two years until I give the word." Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did not as the, uh, did as the Lord told him, and camped besides Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. That had to be a tough life. Right? And here he is, a prophet of God. He's committed to God. And God tells him to do this. How much can ravens carry? And how weird would it be to be having lunch and having a raven swoop down and steal your bread or your meat to carry it off to somebody else? But having to wait for that bread and that meat from God being carried by a bird. I think birds are disgusting. If a pigeon brought you something, would you eat it? No. Yeah, if you had to, right? And water. Water from the brook. I don't know how you feel about water. I hate water. I hate the taste of water. Water doesn't have a taste. Really? Come to Waukesha. I will guarantee you, if you drink Waukesha water out of the tap, you go, ooh, that's, that's not tasty. That's not good. And it's radioactive, so it's a twofer. 
What did he live in? It doesn't say. It said he was camping, though. You know, I've had the opportunity to go with uh, some of the guys up to the, um, up to the Boundary Waters for a week. I'm uh, living in a tent in a week, for a week. That's pretty much, that's, that's it. See, for me, originally, camping was going to a four-star hotel instead of a five-star hotel. Um, but, uh, you know, it was great. It's great for a week. It doesn't say how long he did it. But that couldn't have been easy. But he did it. He took this from God. He did what he was told. And he went. Well, eventually, because there's no rain, the brook dries up. He needs food. He needs water. And so he goes to live with a widow and her son. So, so Elijah leaves where he's at, and he goes to this place, and he sees this woman. And he asks this woman to give him some water and some bread. And she says, I don't have any bread to give you. I'm collecting these sticks. I'm going to make a fire. I'm going to go home. I'm going to make the last bit of bread with my flour. My son and I are going to eat it. Then we're going to die. And Elijah said, no. What's going to happen is you're going to go home. You're going to make me a piece of bread. You're going to make bread for your, for your son and for yourself. And your jar's never going to run out of flour. And your, your pitcher's never going to run out of oil. And you guys are going to be fine. If you do this, you guys will live. So it happens, right? Goes, lives with that family for a while, and the flour and the olive oil never run out. So while, while people are starving to death, right, no rain, no dew, no anything, there's no food, this family is surviving. Having this miracle happen every day, and something happens. The woman's son dies. Dies. After all of this, after experiencing all of this, her son dies. And who does she get mad at? Elijah. Here he was. He was the guy that delivered the message. He's, you know, they're experiencing the miracle day in and day out. They're not starving to death. Her son dies. She blames Elijah. She actually says to Elijah, O oh, man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come there to point out my sins and kill my son? All Elijah did was provide a miracle of God. But it was his fault. So Elijah then takes the son to the roof, prays, and the son is returned. He's resurrected from the dead. Then the mom notes that he must be from God. The flour and the oil wasn't enough. But having her son die and resurrected, that was enough to prove that he was from God. But Elijah keeps going. This does not sound like a fun life to me. But he keeps going. Now it's time for Elijah to go back. He's done hiding. He's done. So no rain for three years. Really bad famine. He presents himself to King Ahab, who's a mite put out with the lack of rain and food. That takes some guts, doesn't it? Because Elijah had told Ahab this was what was going to happen. Until I pray for it, it's not going to rain. And so after three years, he goes and presents himself to the king. He doesn't send a message. He goes to the king. 
And Elijah says, look, this is your fault. King Ahab said, in essence, why are you even in front of me? You, you know, this is, this is all you. And Elijah puts it back on him and says, no, this is not my deal. This is your fault. You have done things that, that are just evil in the sight of God. This is your fault. And so what do they do? Elijah challenges the priests of Baal. So there's Baal worship all over Israel. It's an abomination to God. Elijah challenges them. My favorite, well, there's a lot of my favorite parts of the Bible. I love it because what they do is is they get together and they build two altars, right? The, The priests of Baal over here, Elijah over here. Bunch of people over here, just Elijah. They put a bull on the altar of Baal, and the, the Baal priests just go to town, and they do what they do, and nothing happens. And Elijah mocks them. Maybe he's out for a walk and he can't hear you. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's sleeping. You, just, you should try harder. And they do try harder, and nothing happens. So they put the offering on, on, this, on this altar over here. They soak it with water. Three times, Elijah prays, fire comes down from heaven and burns the, burns the altar, wins the battle of the priests. God wins, Baal loses, and the priests are put to death. So Elijah wins, he goes to a place, he prays for rain, and it rains. And then he runs home faster than the king's chariot. King's wife, after all this, Finally, there's rain in Israel. Ahab doesn't really have a a reason to be mad at him anymore. At the end of all that, the king's wife is really ticked because she worships Baal. And all of the priests have been put to death. So she threatens Elijah's life, sends him a message even. I mean, she taunts him. I'm going to kill you. She doesn't just do it. She wants him to know that it's coming. So he has something to think about, something to consider. At some point, you're going to die. My fault, you're going to die, I hate you. So he leaves, goes to Beersheba, drops off his servant. And he continues on until he can't anymore. And then in 1 Kings, 14, uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 4, it says that he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He'd had enough. He was done. The burden was too much. He wasn't going to take his own life, but he really wanted God to take his. I I I couldn't have made it through half of the stuff that he went through. He did it, he was faithful, and at the very end, he was still threatened to be killed. He was done. That's it, no more, God kill me. Look what happens. In 1 Kings 19, verse 5, it says, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more. 
or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, Mahola, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never, never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. The Lord provided for him in a number of different ways, and it's really no different now than it was then. The Lord provides for us supernaturally. If you walked around this room after service and talked to people, they can share their stories with you how God provided for them supernaturally. I've had the experience of being without money in a vehicle and being responsible for three other people that are traveling with me and I was driving a full-sized passenger van, a Dodge 318, that would get, on a good day, 11 miles per gallon. But we didn't have enough gas to get to the next town where we were going to get money. But that last gallon of gas got us 30 miles, not 11. I've seen God do that. I've experienced God do that. You don't feel like you have anything left. But the, God, but the God of heaven and earth gets you to that next step. He told Elijah where to go, where to camp, where to be. And God provided in that moment, at that time. He drank from the brook. The birds brought him sustenance. And if we're faithful and we're true and we listen, God will place you in places where he will provide for you. Maybe it's a new job. That's what happened with me. I was looking at a place, I was at a place in our life where, um, you know, we were, we were living out in uh, Waukesha, and, uh, 
it had gotten to the point where my job was not providing enough income anymore for us to raise my son in the way that we thought was important. And so I was looking at getting a second job. Nothing wrong with a second job. It's great to have a second job. I, I don't know why. It seems like, sorry, just a quick aside. It seems like the, the one thing Americans don't want to do is work. You know, you turn on the TV, you turn on, you turn on the radio, and everybody talks about, you know, taking some time off, living for the weekend, you know, saving all this time so you can spend it doing your thing. But, you know, we were, we were, we, we were made to work. You know, the, the body is meant to be used. And uh, so there's, there's I, I, I didn't mind getting a second job. My problem was kind of already have a second job. You know, I, I don't work full-time as a pastor here. I, I'm an associate pastor here. It is my second job. So if I got a second job, this would then become my third job, and how much time would I have for this? God provided a new job for me. My old job had become a dead end. There was only so much money I was going to make at that other company. I got a new job at a new company, and not only that, but he multiplied it. I was promoted a number of times, and I will guarantee you that had more to do with God than it did me. And so we were able to do what we needed to do for my family and for his kingdom. He provides people. And I, I think we often, we often overlook this, right? God placed us in this community for a purpose. You and I are not meant to go through life alone. Like Skippy the Pinhead, who decided that he was strong enough to lift that really ridiculously huge window air conditioner to the basement. You, Skippy the Pinhead, are going through life lifting burdens that you have no right lifting on your own. There are people around you that may have gone through what you're going through or may have experienced what you have experienced. But you need to find them, right? We have home groups. Oh, man. Home groups are the best place to build relationships because it's a, it's a, small, it's a small group, right? You get, to, you get to share in each other's lives in a way that you can't in this venue. This is a very crowded room. Right? It's, hard to, it's hard to make close relationships in a 45-minute time period before and after church on a Sunday. So at home groups, you, know, you really do have that opportunity. You're there, you're praying for each other, you're, you know, you're, you're hearing what God is doing in, in people's lives, and, and you, you, know, you hear that, oh, so-and-so went through this, maybe they have some wisdom and can help me carry this burden. <laughs> Sometimes, though, it does feel as if the person that is placed in your way is like the widow when the son died, right? Did you, you know, it just, it's just, as, as the body of Christ, we make mistakes. We say things to each other that shouldn't be said because we say stuff without thinking. You and I need to strive not to be the widow when the son died. You and I need to strive to be the widow after the son is resurrected, Right, to say things that, that build each other up, not tear, not tear each other down. And I'm not saying you don't... There are, there's a time and a place for truth spoken in love. Truth always has to come with love. Otherwise, the truth can be really hard to hear. And sometimes someone will come to you and they will ask your advice and you have to say something that may not be popular or it may not be the thing that they want to hear 
But if you're saying it for their benefit and not your benefit, the pill becomes easier to swallow. But when you're carrying that burden, know that you don't have to carry it alone. That's why we're placed in community. It's not just a matter of coming here and learning stuff about God and going out and teaching other people about God. It's that we share our lives together. That we share one another's burdens. That you take your experience and help this person out and I take my experience and help this person out. Or so someone can call you up on the phone and say, hey, I've got a big, heavy air conditioner and apparently I've got a weak back that can't, take, can't carry it myself. He provides perspective. That's the one that I think is awesome. They're all awesome, right? God is awesome. Perspective. Elijah felt alone, like he was the only one left. And God told him, you're not alone. There's 7,000 other ones out there that never bowed a knee, never kissed the statue of Baal. You're not alone. And sometimes, especially when you're in the midst of something really hard, really heavy, that you don't want to be doing, it can feel like you're alone. But if we wait on God, if we continue doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, God will give you a better perspective. You know, Ryan this morning was talking about You know, there are times in our Christian walk that we do things because it's the right thing to do. We don't always understand the whys, but we understand the what's, and the whys come later. That's true our entire walk. As you progress, as you grow in the Lord, you continue to do things, and you get stuck in a place where you just feel awful, where you just, you know, you just, you're angry or, you know, sad or, you know, all these things, and you just don't, just don't have it in you to take another step. And you don't understand the whys in the moment. But you understand the whats. So you keep going. You, that's not the time to stop praying. That's not the time to stop reading your Bible. We know those, that those things are important as a believer because that's when we get to you know, really interact with God. That's when we you know, firm up that relationship with the Lord. But so often when we get in the middle of these things, those are the first things that go away. You know, when you talk to somebody who's walking away from the Lord and you say, how's your prayer life? Generally speaking, they don't say, it's awesome, but I'm just going to keep walking away from God anyway. You need to continue in the what's till you get to the why's. And understand, it's not your burden to carry. Right? Everything that Elijah did was God's burden. And, and please don't misunderstand. I, I get why at the end he's, I, I'm done. I just want to die. Because after everything that he did, people still hated the man. I get it. But it's God's burden. Sure, you and I are the hands and feet of the Lord, Right? We are the the tools of the Holy Spirit to do his work here on earth. We are the the flesh and bone to the Holy Spirit. It's still not your burden. We get to take part. We get to participate. And sure, we have to give it our all. But it's to God's glory, right? 
It's God that's responsible ultimately for the outcome because it brings glory to him. He wants to help you. He wants to help you carry your burden, regardless of what the burden is. It's not a church thing. It's a you thing. He doesn't want to carry your church burdens. He wants to carry your burdens. All of them. Work, relationship, home, church. All of it. Because he loves you completely. He created you for this time, for the purposes that are going on in your life, to accomplish his work in this world. That's why we're here. And you never have to be alone. I'm not saying you're not going to feel overwhelmed. But that's not the time to quit. That's the time to reach out. That's not the time to walk away. That's the time to dive in with your brothers and sisters and ask for help. That's what we're here for. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you love us enough to give us purpose, to give us life, to give us drive. Give us eternity. Give us heaven, Lord. So when all of this is over, when all of our burdens are gone and we shuck off the husk of life, that we spend eternity with you in rest, in peace, in joy. But Lord, you didn't raise us up to be quitters. You didn't raise us up to to be overburdened. You raised us up and placed us here so that we can help each other carry each other's burdens, so that we can learn to rely more on you, so that when we have success in you, we can see you in it, so that you can be glorified. And Father, I do thank you for who you are and what you've done and what you're going to continue to do in our lives as individuals, but in our lives as a body of believers here at Grace, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.